Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. And we are reading um, out of, we're still in Luke 1 in our Peacemaker series, and we're going to be reading starting in Luke 1, verse 57. It said, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace." And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Uh, So guys, I'm I'm Mike, one of the leaders here. If if, uh, you're new with us this morning, thank you for being here. Gosh, it's, it's such an amazing season, Advent, Christmas, joy. Um, Colin, it's awesome to see you. I just noticed you when, when we were up here. Um, and yeah, guys, it's like, this should be an environment of celebration, of, of, of joy. So whatever happened this week, whatever you came in with this morning, know that you've walked into a place that is uh, filled with the Spirit of God, and where the Spirit is, there's freedom and there's joy. And um, <laughs> we were talking about the ugly sweater thing, and I walked downstairs this morning, I saw the girls, or actually it was upstairs, and, and Emerson was like, is that your ugly sweater? <laughs> I was like, that's next week. <laughs> she was like, oh, 
<laughs> uh, so guys, like, that's the reason we're doing that is, is to show unity as well. Like, it's just, it's like, you know, you go to a sports game and they're like, it's a, it's a whiteout night. Anyone wears white? We're just like, we're going to celebrate Jesus together. We're going to do it in a fun way. And, and I love how we did that this morning. And so, like Missy said, we're in our Peacemaker series. And, and uh, we've, we've been talking about different perspectives on this. Last week we talked about, uh, we went from Elizabeth's perspective and Mary's perspective and, and how, how they both prophesied. And prophecy is for, uh, what, what is it for, guys? What does 1 Corinthians 14 say it's for? Yeah, edification, building up, consolation. Second one, encouragement. Right? You want to put courage in somebody. That's, that's what, so, so each of these passages have done that. They've consoled, they've encouraged, they've edified, they've built up, and they've released things in, in the people that, that uh, are, are hearing this. And the same thing happens in this passage. And we can talk about peacemaker, and it's, and it's great, and, and peacemaking sounds like, oh, it sounds like, I don't know, it's all good and it's nice. But <clears throat> guys, peacemakers, if you want to be a peacemaker... You're going into conflict. Think about that. Like, we've been called to be peacemakers. That doesn't go into a fun-loving, you know, joyful, united environment. If you're to make peace, you're going into an environment where there's disunity, where there's discord, where there's despair. Any more disses? I, I don't know. <laughs> it just came up. Uh, where, there's, where there's struggle. Right? Like, Jesus comes to make peace in the midst of chaos. All right, John, you mentioned this. Like, like the, when, when you make peace, it, it comes in the middle of conflict. And so what, what God is calling us to, what we're talking about right now, isn't a walk in the park. It's us actually going into battle. It's us actually putting ourselves in the war that is happening in this world. That's what peacemaking is. I mean, just, just think about the UN and their peacekeepers. Like, we don't see too many UN peacekeepers here in Toronto. I don't know if we see any. All right, you see them in places that are war-torn and, and conflict-ridden. And, and so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how God has called us to make peace in that way. Just think about the Beatitudes. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus it's his first fully uh, recorded sermon. He's just said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew chapter 4. And then he shows up in Matthew chapter 5 and he's on the Mount of Beatitudes and, and he just starts preaching this sermon. He says, blessed, uh, actually let's, let's read through it because he ends up saying, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. But before he gets there, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, he's, he's saying they're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Like, if they are poor in spirit, they're going to inherit this. They're, they're doing something, and the kingdom of heaven, Jesus just said, is at hand. It's here. And he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. And guys, meekness and weakness have an unfortunate rhyming connotation, but meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means you have all the power, yet you, you can do it with control and not use it for your own gain. Does that make sense? So it's like you have, it's like you have 
a big sword, but you don't unsheathe it like Peter does in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? You know that, that uh, there's, there's a different reason you have this power. So he says, those who are meek, they shall inherit the earth. Guys, that's a battle. That's, that's a battle, right? The earth is not theirs right now. The earth is not the meek's right now. Whose is it? It's those who are ambitious and seek power and are greedy and hungry for that. Like, like Ephesians 2 says, there's a prince in power of this air, and it's Satan, right? So he says here, the meek shall inherit the earth. That's, that's a battle. They're going into war here. And we, we read the Beatitudes, and we're like, oh, like it's blessed, and, and it's so great. No, guys, Jesus is painting a picture here that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and something crazy and amazing is about to happen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, do you guys know what that word is? For, yeah, for righteousness. For they, those people, shall be satisfied. Ah, oh, you want to be satisfied? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want to be unsatisfied? Hunger and thirst for whatever else you want, fill in that blank. Hunger and thirst for your career, hunger and thirst for a relationship, hunger and thirst for money, hunger and thirst for whatever else. Jesus says if you want to be satisfied, you will be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And now to the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And all this, guys, verse 10 and 11 kind of sum it up. It's blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when, when others are vile and persecute you, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, it's, it's a war. It's a battle. But it's, it's a different kind of battle. And we're going to talk about what that looks like as, as we go into this passage this morning. So, beginning in verse 57, I love, I love this, this passage, guys. I love this entire passage. I've never studied it like, as closely as I have this, this past week. Um, and I just fell in love with everything here. So hopefully we can get it done in the next 30 <laughs> 25, 40, I don't know, somewhere around there. Okay, let's, let's go. Um, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. So this is all like, like uh, a, this is kind of a, the background for the prophecy. Okay, so Zechariah is about to give this prophecy that's, that's uh, I mean, this is one of the longest chapters in the Bible probably. It's 80 verses, right? Um, Zechariah is about to give this prophecy, and, and what we're about to go through right now is the background for it. Uh, so let me just sum it up. Um, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. Their baby is going to be John the Baptist, who is the forerunner for Jesus. He's preparing the way. He's going to make the way. He's the prophet that goes before Jesus. And that's highly significant because there hasn't been a prophet for hundreds of years. There's been no one to speak on behalf of God for hundreds of years. Okay? So John the Baptist is the first one. Right? So all the other prophets, they prepared the way. But now there's been a 400-year silence where there's been no prophet in Israel. They've been kind of like in the wilderness. Okay? Remember that for the, the end when we come back to that. And, and now John the Baptist is coming in. And an angel appeared. Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. He, he said, you're going to have a son. Zechariah did not believe him because him and Elizabeth are really old, and, and they said, that's not possible. My wife's barren. We're, we're too old. That's not going to happen. And immediately, he was struck mute. He couldn't speak. 
So he hasn't spoken for nine months, over nine months, okay? This guy's just been silent, hasn't been able to speak. That's what's happening in this passage. Now, now all their families gathered, all their neighbors, in verse 58. And in verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Okay, Zechariah still cannot speak. It's the eighth day. John the Baptist, just John now, <laughs> John has been born. Do you guys think? So, Zechariah, he couldn't speak, right? Because he didn't believe. Do you think after he didn't speak for nine months, do you think he believed during those nine months? Yeah. I and mean, he probably believed right away. Like, when he couldn't utter any words, he's probably like, oh, shoot, that was Gabriel. <laughs> like, but I can't say anything. Like, so he believed. But that wasn't enough, was it? That wasn't enough. He actually had to step forward in obedience. Because faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead, right? Guys, like, he believed, but it wasn't enough. Eight days. He's probably thinking, oh, shoot, I thought after he was born I would talk again. But he's not talking. And they circumcised John. They're going to call him after his father. But his mom says, no, he's going to be called John. And they said to her this. They said, none of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, which actually makes you think he's not just mute, he's also deaf. So I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, early on in the scripture it says he just couldn't speak. But here, why would they be making signs to him? Uh, it's almost like he can't hear either. Maybe it got worse. I don't, I don't know what happened here. It's just an interesting point in the text. It has no bearing on <laughs> what we're talking about. But it's, just, it's interesting. They're making signs to him. And they're inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So he asked for a writing tablet. And he writes, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately, in verse 64, his mouth was open, his tongue loosed. And the first thing he does is what? He blesses God. The first thing he does is, is bless God. He's been silent for over nine months because of God, <laughs> because of his own disbelief. And the first thing he does is bless God. Why do you think that is? Well, on, in our small group, in our BLG, on Tuesday, we practiced silence. We all sat around and, and we practiced just being silent, this, this, it's an ancient Christian discipline. And we did it for 10 minutes. And for some people, it was like, this is way too long. Uh, for some people, they thought, whoa, it went by really fast. Um, Zachariah was silent for over nine months. And he couldn't speak. All he could do was listen. All he could do was hear. And um, Kyle was praying this morning as we, as we were gathering for prayer if you guys don't know, we gather for prayer at 9 o'clock every, every Sunday. Um, and normally there's only a couple people there. So church actually starts at 8.30, not 10.30. So, yeah. yeah. Um, if you want to be with the body of Christ and you want to you pray and you want to go to battle, 
come here at nine o'clock. We do it. We do it over there. Um, and and uh, yeah, that was random, but it was needed. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So. So um, where was I going? Oh, so Zachariah is silent for nine months. All he's doing is listening. All he's doing is saying, Spirit, you speak to me. All he's doing is, God, I want to hear your voice. All he's doing is, is letting God speak. And it's evident because we're going to see he's filled with the Spirit when he prophesies. He's filled with the Spirit. So we know that's been happening. We know that in his time of silence, He's heard from God because we're about to read about it. All he's been doing is hearing from God. You think, like this, you think this was just spon- spontaneous utterance? Like God has been putting this in him for nine months. And maybe Zechariah needed that to hear. It's funny because Kyle said, God, um, maybe we don't need the full nine months. <laughs> but let us hear your voice, right? Maybe you do. Maybe you need to just stop talking and hear God. What also happens in this, in this passage is, is they break with tradition and they break with family. So when he says his name is John, God has given them something they haven't had before. Okay? They've lived their whole lives, haven't had a son, no lineage, no one to continue their family name. God has given them that. And what do they do in return? They give it up. They gave it right up. They said, no, his name's not going to be Zechariah. And they're like, wait, no one in your family is named John. Like, his name's going to be John. And, and, and they, they broke with their tradition. They broke with their culture. They broke with uh, their family. All for the kingdom of God. What do you need to break with this morning? Some of you guys, you need to, you need to break from your family. Amen? you got to break from your family. Your family has a hold on you. You have a hold on your family. I don't know who's holding who. You're holding each other. And you gotta, you got to break that bond with your family. Your parents are saying, these are your expectations for your life. You're saying, God wants me to do this. They don't match. You just need to break that. And guys, that's going in about, that's being a peacemaker. We're going to talk about that as we go through the prophecy. But, but you don't need to do it. You don't need to be a jerk about it. I still honor your parents, still honor your family. But is Jesus more important to you or not? And, and some of you guys, you need to, you need to break with uh, the ways of this world. You're, you're too focused on comfort. And you're saying, oh, I, I need this living situation. I need this job. I need this salary. I need this house. I need this space. I need this type of family. I need this relationship. I need this. And guys, a lot of these things, they're not inherently evil things. It's not that they're bad things. But when they usurp what God is saying you do need, you need this community. You need this. You need my spirit. You need these relationships. You need to follow me in this way. Then that's when you need to just break it. And you need to break with that tradition. You need to break with that family. You need to break with this culture. The world has so many things in us, guys, that, like, the world's claws are in us. Like, and, and, and we're going to talk about this in a second. Yeah, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Um, I love this passage. Uh, and, and some of you guys just need to break with that. Some of you guys, you're going to need to break with church, tra- church tradition. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're religious. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 
It's spreading. That religious church tradition, you need, you need a break with it. Guys, guess what? In 2020, God is creating new wineskins for the new wine in our church. If you don't know what that means, go study that passage. God is, there's a new framework in 2020 coming in our church. And if, if you're in the old wine, it's just not going to fit. And we can't put new wine in our old, old framework because it's going to burst. And we've been trying to do that the past two years, at least. We've been trying to put this new wine into our old framework, and we're changing the framework of how we do things around here. Um, so get excited about that. Um, now, we're, we're still, like, Bible, love Jesus. Like, don't, we're still Trinity life, okay? Um, don't, you guys are like, oh, what's, what's happening? What's going to change? Uh, but if, if tradition, if, if religiosity has the hold on you, we need a break, and we're going to break it in 2020. So here in this passage, you see God gives them something, and the first thing they do is give it back to God. What do you need to give back to God this morning? That's obedience. And it's only when Zechariah is obedient. Remember, faith, belief wasn't enough. Guys, James says, even the demons believe and shudder. It's not enough. That's why I, I hate to use the term believer. Like, are you a believer? I don't call people believers. Are you a follower? That, that implies you're actually doing something. We have too many believers in the church who aren't following. Are you going to follow or are you just going to believe? Right? And, and here, Zechariah follows. He actually says his name is John. They all wondered. And guys, when he does that, his tongue's loose. He blesses God. And look what happens in verse 65. It changes the atmosphere of everybody around him. Fear came on all their neighbors. They're like, I don't know. Like, they're like running like, ah, like crazy. I don't know what they're doing. But they're like, oh my gosh. Like this, this is like, so... In these verses, think like, so this prophecy here, this prophecy in, these, in, in this is almost should be inserted here where his tongue is loosed, right? So this prophecy goes inside the story. Does that make sense? So it's not, so when it says he blessed God, this is what he's blessing God with. And we're going to talk about that in a second, the, the prophecy that comes after. So he says all these things, he blesses God, and they change fears on them. They start talking about all these things. They become evangelists, right? They start spreading the word of God. They talk about all these things through the hill country, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. All right, let's go on the prophecy. So it says, and his father Zechariah, verse 67, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, verse 68, he's about to introduce us to who the peacemaker is. Uh, this is the bottom line we're taking through the prophecy today. It's on the screen. <laughs> you can only make peace if you've met peace. You want to be a peacemaker? You can only make peace if you've met peace. What do I mean by that? Well, peace is a person. And, we're about, and Zechariah is about to introduce us to who that person is. So he says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He starts recognizing the Father. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So he's talking about a redeemer here. Now guys, what's so cool about these, uh, these, this, uh, these verses here? 
is that each verb is in the past tense, okay? Which means it's already happened. How much more so for us is that true, right? It's even true for them right here. Zechariah is saying he's visited us. He's redeemed his people. Jesus hasn't even been born yet, right? He's already come, but he hasn't been born. And he's already redeeming. He's already raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Uh, all right, we'll stop there. So he's already done these things. Guys, this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, if he is your Savior, he is also your victor. He's also your redeemer, and he's already done those things. So when you walk, you walk forward in victory. Like it's already happened. You, you walk forward in that. And so many of us, instead of, instead of walking forward in victory, we walk, we walk in our lives in defeat. Instead of hope, we're walking around in despair. He says, you have a horn of salvation. This is referring to Psalm 132. It's a messianic prophecy of uh, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, which is uh, from 2 Samuel 7, which is saying that uh, God says to David that on your throne, there will always be a king, and this king will be the Messiah. And in Psalm 132, it says that a horn will sprout from him. And you're like, wait, a horn? That sounds a, little, <laughs> sounds a little weird. Like, why would a horn sprout from him? But it's talking about, like in the Old Testament, a horn was this sign of strength. And it was a, a declaration of battle. It was a battle cry. And it was uh, a declaration of victory. So when you blew on this ram's horn, it was like you're praising God and knowing that you have victory in God. And so, he's, so he says here, the horn is one of salvation. So many of us, when we blow our horn, it's not blowing, it's not sounding salvation. It's sounding despair. It's not sounding hope. It's not sounding victory. It's sounding condemnation. But in Romans 8, in the Spirit of God, Paul says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Guys, are you a follower of Jesus this morning? Like, do you believe that? That in Christ this morning, there's no condemnation for you. I don't care what sin you did this week. Some of you guys messed up this week, and you know you shouldn't have done that. But today, in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation for you. There's only hope and freedom to be more like Jesus. Amen? Like, that, that should be good news to you this morning. Say to the person sitting next to you and preach, preach this over to them. Say to them right now, there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Guys, you just put that into the other person. Right? Even, even if you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, like you know that is true today. There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Like, that is scripture that was just hidden in your heart. That is encouragement and exhortation you just gave to somebody else. Pure scripture. There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. And so he says here 
that there's a horn of salvation. And this is what that looks like. This is what peace looks like. In verse 71, it says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy and to remember the Holy Covenant, uh, the oath that he swore to Abraham to grant us. Who, who is our enemy in, in this passage? I think sometimes we think our, we think our enemy is the world. I think sometimes we think the enemy is uh, sinners, whoever you want to place in that category. We think our enemy is the other. We think our enemy is those people, is that group, is that religion, is, is that uh, religion, is, is those people who live that way. They're our enemies. And as the church, that's what we act like, right? Because we stand firm against all those people who we think are enemies, those who are, quote-unquote, persecuting us. Guys, I met so many leaders from the persecuted church uh, last week when I was in, um, on that trip. <laughs> I remember where I was. I was all over. Uh, when I was on that trip, and you know what they say? None of, all of them say, do not feel sorry for us. They say, pray for us, but don't feel sorry for us. And don't even pray away the persecution. Because when we are persecuted, the church explodes. The church grows. They say, we count it as joy and blessing. This is, this is uh, the, what Peter says. That's my Siri on, the, on, on my chair right there. Uh, she said, I'm listening, which is a little creepy. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not going to mention any of those leaders' names, Siri. Crazy, right? Um, so, guys, they say, they say, like, yeah, pray for us, but don't feel sorry for us. We don't feel sorry for us. We're living for Jesus, and we expect persecution. We expect it to be like this. So who are our enemies? They don't look at them as their enemies. You know, and, and as a church, we do a good job of saying that group is our enemies, and we burn the bridge so we don't reach them. We, we say that religion is our enemies. We burn the bridge. We don't have anything to do with them. I met someone this past week who, who said, Catholics are our enemies. And, and I was like, whoa, whoa there, buddy. Like, um, you're going to cut off a whole Christian tradition? Like, that's, that seems pretty ludicrous to me. Um, I, and I won't go into the whole details, but this is a leader of a church in Toronto, guys. And, and I was like, hey, like, you might want to slow down there. But how did they become our enemies? I was like, even if you think that they're all lost, you should build a bridge to go talk to them, right? Like, and, and I told him, I was like, hey, I bet in your church you have as many people who don't believe the gospel as you do, like, as many followers of Jesus as you don't. So like, you can't, we can't just cut off whole groups, guys. They're not our enemies. The Bible says these are our enemies. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers. These are all spiritual terms. We're not talking about our government here. We're not like forming a militia, right? Like, these are, if I was in America, they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> America, let's get our guns. Like, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, all spiritual over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Guys, our enemy is the enemy. 
to spiritual forces of evil. It's all spiritual. And guys, I get it. We get persecuted. We, you have this group saying this thing and this group in, infringing on, on Christian rights here and Christian beliefs there. We, we have all that. But people aren't the enemy. They're the ones we're supposed to reach. They're the ones we're supposed to love. The forces behind them are the enemy, and those are what we stand firm against. We're to love people and show them the love of Christ and draw them in, and that's how we are peacemakers, and we insert ourselves into that battle, when we insert ourselves into that war, when we insert ourselves into this conflict, but not in a way that our flesh wants to, in a way that looks like this. So he says here in verse 72, we're to show mercy uh, sorry, God showed us mercy that was promised to our fathers and to remember the Holy Covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. In verse 74, that we, now being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. I love that because everyone was fearful when Zechariah was talking. He's like, no, no, no. We serve him without fear. That spirit of timidity is not of God. He's given us a spirit of power, of love, of sound mind, right? So we serve him without fear. We serve him in holiness and, and in righteousness before him all our days. Guys, when we serve God without fear, because fear, fear, so much conflict, discord, disunity is born out of fear. Right? We, we cut ourselves off from the other because of fear. Oh, what if they influence us? What if they infiltrate? What, what, if, they, what if we become like them? Like, what, what if, what if, what, what if, what if, right? And it's all fear, which is the breeding ground for prejudice. And then that leads to hatred. That leads to, you know, all, all that. Like, he says, no, we don't serve him with fear. We serve him with peace and holiness and righteousness. That's what I would say is the opposite of fear. So if we're going to make peace, we have to dispel fear. We have to live in it first. It has to be dispelled out of our own hearts first. That fear has to go out of us first. And, and as Colossians 3.15 says, that uh, it's the peace of Christ that should rule our hearts. Amen. Guys, it's the peace of Christ that should rule your heart. That word says, let the peace of Christ Rule your heart. It says let it, which means you're doing what? You're preventing it. He says let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. If it's not happening in your life, you're preventing it. Guys, just let it happen. Say, yes, God. I want your peace to rule in my heart. Like, it's that easy. Like, say to your neighbor, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> say it together. Uh, yeah, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Thessalonians. He says, do not quench the Holy Spirit, which means what? We are quenching the Holy Spirit. So stop doing it. Say to your neighbor, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Yeah, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Guys, uh, yeah, stand firm. There you go. Keep on preaching some scripture, Ryan. Like, guys, yeah. I'm hoping, like, the reason I'm having you say these things is I'm hoping later this week 
you remember those phrases. Like, you remember not to quench the Holy Spirit. And if you're married in here and your spouse is quenching the Holy Spirit, normally your husband, you say, do not quench the Holy Spirit. I told you on Sunday, do not quench the Holy Spirit, right? Like, you, like, you just put scripture in each other. And, and, and let's live that out as well. So here, we have Zechariah full of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, in verse 76, he speaks directly to John. He says, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. And this is what it'll look like for you to be that, to bring peace. He says, you'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Guys, that's hard work. That's hard. Fortunately for us, we don't have to do that. Because we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit prepares the way for us. All right, guys, there's, I don't know, I don't know if I can say this absolutely, but probably um, pretty much nothing, like, I, I would say pretty much nothing good has happened in my life without me praying God to go before me. And saying, God, and just simply, God, send your favor before me. Guys, the only reason this church exists is because that was a prayer of mine every day multiple times a day. God, go before me. I want to go where you go. Spirit, you prepare the way. God, send your favor before me. I pray that in almost every meeting. God, send your favor before me. We need the Spirit to go before us. Here, John had to go and prepare the way of the Lord in order to do this. Verse 77. And guys, just as a peacemaker, real quick before we go to 77, That's just one practical thing to do. You want to be a peacemaker? Pray God to go before you. Just, that's one practical. God, I want to make peace in this situation. Spirit, you you go before me. God, send your favor before me. Verse 77, and it's to do this. You give knowledge of salvation to his people. How many of you guys, your, your words throughout the week are doing that? are giving knowledge of salvation to God's people. We talk about a lot of stuff during the week. But how much of what we talk about is this knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of their sins? And guys, knowledge is not, I'm not talking about belief, just straight up doctrine, theology, beliefs here. We're talking about experiential knowledge. That's how the Bible talks about knowledge here. Um, it's this experience with God, right? Now, it includes beliefs and doctrine and theology and all that stuff, too. You have to have that right. Right theology always leads to right practice, so that has to be right. But here, we're talking about this experience with God. Zechariah's been silent for nine months, and he's experienced the fullness of the Spirit, and he's just declaring all this stuff out. And, and he says, in the forgiveness of their sins, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, Guys, you know, our world deserves condemnation. You deserve condemnation. We were already condemned, John 3 says. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. It was already that way. I came to rescue it. I came to give mercy. I came to take the punishment that was rightly yours and remove it. Guys, that's what you have in Jesus that should like do something in you this morning because I guarantee you, you sinned this week 
and you felt some sort of guilt and shame and condemnation, but in Christ Jesus, there's therefore now no condemnation. In Christ Jesus, he's taken your punishment and he's removed it. Why? Because he took the entirety of it. He took all of it. People always ask me, and they're like, ah, oh, the Old Testament, uh, I don't get it. God's like so wrathful and punishing and he's so angry. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. You do get it. <laughs> uh, but he's also loving and gracious and merciful. And the reason the Old Testament builds all that up for us for two-thirds of the Bible, it builds up our failure, it builds up all this stuff, is because now you can see what Jesus took for you. When he's on the cross and he's crying out, God, you've forsaken me, when he's, when he's getting beaten, when he's, his back is getting ripped off, when his uh, side is getting stuck with a spear, when the nails are going in his hands, when the nails are going in his feet, when the crown of thorns is shoved in his head, when he's just bleeding blood and sweating blood and crying out, it's because he took all of that Wrath, and the Romans uses the word propitiation, he became the propitiation of God, which means he took all the wrath of God for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Praise God, right? So that, what you had this week, you don't have to live in that. We prayed liberate, we sang liberator and freedom, like you get to live in that. Like how amazing is that? Guys, here's another thing. Oh, man, there's so much I could teach you this morning. Yeah. When, you know when you're singing? If you're singing to God, you're praying. And you know when you're singing, you're going into battle. Like, I could trace an entire biblical theology of song through the scriptures. And each time you see song, it's going into battle and you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, don't get drunk on wine, uh, because it leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, because when you do, you do what? You sing songs. Uh, you, you make melody in your heart. Uh, you go into battle for what is God's. And we can see this all through the scriptures. I don't have time to do, to do all that this morning, but I could take you through all of this. Uh, I mean, uh, in the temple of the Lord, uh, David put, I mean, Solomon uh, put musicians there to sing day and night and to play day and night. That's their only job, is to sing and play instruments all day, every day. Guys, uh, so when we sing these songs, we don't sing them just to get all, you know, whatever, or it's because it's we're going into battle together as a church. It's why we choose the songs we do. It's why we're about to sing the songs afterwards that, that we sing. And so he says here, it's because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. We were praying this morning uh, when church started at 8.30. We were praying over there. And, and Jamie was over there, and she said, hey, guys, I think she was leading it out this morning. She says, guys, I think God wants us to, to really walk in the light and, and see the light because of this. Because I think our eyes are closed, and we've chosen to close them. And if you're in Jesus, guys, and you're not in the light, and you don't, and you don't sense the light, if you aren't the light, then maybe your eyes are closed. And she said, she said, I think God wants us to open our eyes this morning as a church. 
And there's so much truth to that, guys. Because when I talk to you guys, and, and don't get me wrong, please still share your problems with me and all that stuff. Um, I, it's not that I don't want to hear your problems, but I'm like, guys, you're better than that. You know that? Like, Jesus, Jesus has made you better than that. You are a child of God. So start living like it. And, and don't let your circumstances dictate your joy. Don't let them dictate your obedience. And, and all, all our problems, guys, there, there's a lot of circumstances, not all of them. There's a lot of circumstances that, that we can, if we have the right perspective on those circumstances, it's going to change everything for you. And that's light. Ephesians says this. It says to walk as children of light in Ephesians 5. And, and it doesn't say, uh, it says you were once darkness, but now you are light. Don't say you're in light. Don't say you have been shown the light. It says you are now light. So walk that way. And here there's this urgency, guys. There's this urgency that uh, Zechariah has because he says we're to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. They sit there. They dwell there. And their shade, their comfort, their relief is death. That's what that means. Their shadow, they're in the shadow of death. It's their shade, their comfort. Their relief is death. There's an urgency to share Jesus. There's an urgency to show mercy. There's an urgency to make peace. There's an urgency to declare who Jesus is to those around us, to change the atmosphere of, of where God has placed you, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in this church. Right? There's an urgency. I love what Romans says about this. Romans says this. It says, besides this, you know the time. You know the time. The hour has come to wake from sleep. So many of us are sleeping. And Romans says, no, the hour, the hour has come to wake from sleep. We're no longer to be sleeping. You can't be a sleepy Christian. You have to follow Jesus. You can't just be a believer. You have to follow. You have to step forward in obedience. So besides this, you know the time that the hour is coming awake from sleep because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It says the, the night is far gone. The darkness is behind us. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and, and step into the light. He says, put on the light, the armor of light. Guys, it's a battle. It's, it's war. We're stepping into this. And he says, so then, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in, catch, <laughs> catch this, not in orgies and drunkenness. And you're like, oh, that's not me. <laughs> I don't do those things. Wait for it. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. That's touching a little closer to home now, isn't it? And if that still hasn't gotten you, he puts in another random category. He says, and not in quarreling and jealousy. That should get all of us. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
make no room for it. Guys, salvation is nearer to us today, right now, in this moment, than when we first believed. And he says, wake up. And this is the result. Your feet will be guided into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. The child grew. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And he became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. Do you know who else was in the wilderness? Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. Um, Joshua, 40 years in the wilderness. Who else was in the wilderness? David. David was in the wilderness running around from his life, from Saul. Most of the prophets were in the wilderness. Elijah and all those guys, they're in the wilderness. John is in the wilderness. Paul is in the wilderness for three years. And Jesus goes into the wilderness. Guys, God uses the wilderness to do something in us. There's something about the wilderness where God says, this is your identity in Christ, this is your destiny in Christ, and this is how I want you to influence our city and the world. There's something about the wilderness that does that. Don't shirk off the wilderness. Don't resent the wilderness. Embrace the wilderness. Zechariah was in the wilderness for nine months by himself. He couldn't speak. I, a spiritual, phys, not, not physical, but a, an emotional, mental wilderness, right? Don't, don't shy away from the wilderness. Allow the Spirit of the Lord. You know what it says about Jesus after his baptism? It says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Like the Spirit, God led the people of God into the wilderness, the people of Israel into the wilderness, right? Allow God to do that. If you want your identity firm in Christ, if you want your destiny firm in Christ, if you really want to know how to influence our city and the world, let him lead you into the wilderness. God will use it to shape you, to transform you. You will grow strong in spirit. You will, you will grow in wisdom and stature. And allow him, to just let, allow him to just use the wilderness to form you. And here John the Baptist, uh, along with all these other people of faith that we mentioned, come out of the wilderness and he starts to prepare the way for the Lord. And he does so in peace and in mercy and in holiness and in righteousness without fear. And so this morning, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And you'll be transformed by it. And then you can start transforming our world by it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the peacemaker. That you have made peace. And so, uh, use this time as we respond, as we sing, as we remember you, Jesus. Use this time to make peace among us. Just ask this in your name. Amen.
If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.